Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning, and ladies too. We're glad that you're here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus, especially the Annex in Somerville, new campus filling up. Uh, glad you guys are along uh, for uh, the message today. And, and also, those of you who are listening by a podcast, especially those who may be doing this while you're working out. Uh, somebody recently wrote me and said uh, that um, you get more work out for your money when you're listening to my podcast than anybody else. In fact, the way that you said it is that you run uh, further, I guess one of these treadmills that you run further when you're listening to me and you said it must be the anointing actually what it is is i preach a little bit longer than other people do and uh, talk slower but we're glad that you're along also hey let me ask you guys a question how many of you have at least one irrational fear just at least one irrational fear okay self-disclosure um fear of heights uh, I had to go on my roof following one of the hurricanes that came here, and the insurance inspector invited me to come come on up. And uh, I found myself clinging to the roof, uh, feeling as though I may live the rest of my life there on the way down, and had to be rescued off the roof. I remember um, many times I've gone to Colorado. I love to drive on Trail Ridge Road. The scenery is beautiful. Uh, I never see it if I'm driving. Because once I get up to about eleven, twelve thousand feet, they don't have guardrails, you know. I am I have a death grip on the steering wheel. And I've got these thoughts that go through my mind that if I would even let up a little bit, this car of its own volition would jump automatically, you know, over the side. I've never had those thoughts driving down I twenty six or something, but it's it's when I it's when I get up into high place. It's called um uh, acrophobia, I think it is, the fear of heights. Do you guys have an irrational fear? Some of them are quite funny. Um, I looked up some of them. Let me share them, see if you know what they are. Uh, the first one is chromophobia. How do you know what chromophobia is? The fear of what? It's not the fear of chrome. Come on. <laughs> it's the fear of colors, bright colors. Okay. How about this one? Cholerophobia. Cholerophobia. No, it's not the fear of colors. We already covered that one. It's actually the fear of clowns. The fear of clowns. Um, how about chiclophobia? Chiclophobia. Chickens. Uh, no. It's the fear of chewing gum, actually. Go figure. How about uh, isa... I don't know what it is. Isopatrophobia. Anybody know what that one is? Yeah, it's the fear of your own reflection. It oftentimes happens after you gain 10 pounds. Okay, fear of your own reflection. Uh, botanophobia, that's an easy one. Plants, fear of plants. Uh, barophobia, fear of bars at closing time. No, it's um, the fear of gravity. Okay, how about this one? Dendrophobia, fear of trees. Uh, Pilotophobia. Let's just put it that way. This is an interesting one. It's the fear of bald people. Some of my grandchildren are developing that. 
How about exanthophobia? It's uh, the fear of the color yellow. Uh, panophobia. Panophobia. It's fear of everything. We have a unique one here at the Long Point Road campus, for those of you somewhere else. We have what's called terraphobia. It's the fear of our worship leader, Tara Banks. And uh, <laughs> don't hiss. This is church, okay? Here's the truth. Here's the truth. We all have irrational fears. Would you agree with that? And fears cause anxiety. And here's a deeper truth. God wants you and I to live an anxiety-free, a fear-free, faith and joy-filled life. Wow. We're going to talk about that. Let me tell you about the message before we get into it. We're in a series right now. And uh, it's in Philippians, and we're calling it the DNA of joy. It started out to be just a four-week series. We got into it, had fun with it. I love it. Started going verse by verse. It's now a 10-week series. And I got to tell you what happened this week. We're going to study Philippians 4. That's the next passage. And as I was reading Philippians 4, uh, verses 1 through about 9, um, I discovered that there's kind of two separate things going on. There's something happening in verses 1 through 3, and then uh, verses 4 through 9, 10, 11. Those are a, kind of a separate section. And so I got to reading 1 through 3, and I thought, man, there's so much meat in there. Let's just extend it a week. And the team said, no, you'll want to extend it forever. And so here's what I did, is I took verses 1, 2, and 3 of Philippians 4, and I taught it to our staff this week. We, we do an all-staff uh, once a month. And we taught those principles to the all-staff. And it's about unity. It's about how to keep the unity in a team. And I would encourage you, if you're a part of a team, uh, work team, sports team, whatever, you may want to take a little bit of time. We put it up on my website, uh, my name, gregsurratt.org. And you can see it. it's called There's No They and We. And we kind of break out Philippians uh, four, one through three. So you may want to take a look at that at another time. Now today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses four. Uh, in fact, let's let's start it with uh, verse four on your outline sheet. If you've got it, or if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. We're reading from the New Living Translation. Why don't we read verses four and five out loud together? Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is near. He says, always, always be full of joy. And then again, he says, let me say it again because you didn't get it. He says, rejoice. This is where you go, really? Paul, always, every day, be full of joy. Joy? How is that possible? You want me just to think happy thoughts, you know? How do you do that? But here's the truth. All of us in this building are looking for ways to worry less. And Paul says, that's what I want to help you with. For a Christian, it's as simple as this. And here's the whole message. I'm going to give you the message in about two or three different ways. But here it is. He says, rejoice always said, be considerate. The word considerate there uh, literally uh, mean, means be reasonable. And he's saying, this, this is a reasonable thing. People think that this is unreasonable to go, you can be joyful always. He says, no, this is reasonable for a believer. Why? 
Because God is near. Because God is near. My grandson, Miles, uh, is at that age where he sees boogeymen everywhere. You know, there are monsters in the closet. He'll wake up at night, you know, and there's monsters in the closet. But it's amazing when dad comes into the room, the monsters go away because dad's near. And here's what Paul's saying. He says, we all have monsters in our closet. The older we are, the less we want to admit it, but we worry about stuff. Things happen in our day. We kind of blow it up bigger than it is. And he says, you know what? It's reasonable to live in joy because daddy's near. God is near. God is near. Um, I read blogs from time to time. One of my read is uh, Michael Hyatt. He's the CEO at um, Thomas Nelson books and he had a blog this week that was really interesting and and, and here it was he he's talking about a time before he was the ceo and he was reporting to the current ceo there at the time and he was giving a report that day about his department he was very very nervous to go in and and, and tell tell the boss the news he had because it wasn't good news his department had not met their financial goals it wasn't good they weren't even close and so he walked in and his boss could tell that he was nervous and he kind of poured out the stuff. And the boss said, let me ask you a question. He said, what's that? He said, is Romans 8.28 still in the Bible these days? Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We know that all things work together so he, so he asked his employee when he gave him a bad report, and he said, you know what? Stuff happens. Bad stuff happens from time. Sometimes we don't meet our goals. That's life. But you've got to maintain a perspective. God is still in charge, and it's going to turn out okay. Is Romans 8.28 still in the Bible? Now, how many of you wish your boss would act like that when you come in with a less than glowing report? Is Romans 8.28 still in the Bible? Max Lucado says it like this. It all works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out yet, then it's not the end. (laughs) Pretty good stuff. That's the message. We could go home right now, but let me just fill a few more minutes of your time. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the next four verses because Paul gives a very practical, this is as practical as it gets, a very practical roadmap on how to live a worry-free life, on how to rejoice always. In fact, as I was looking at that this, this week, I had a, a little team around me that kind of helps me uh, kind of process some of the things I'm thinking about. And they said, Greg, this message preaches itself. If you don't screw it up, it's going to be really, really good. And so what I'm going to try to do is get out of the way and let the Scriptures teach themselves today okay so what paul does is he he gives you three things over the next three or four verses that talks about keeping stress from killing your joy what's the first thing it's this don't worry about anything in fact i just ripped it off from his scripture philippians 4 6 don't worry about it i told you it was going to teach itself right don't worry about anything have you worry about everything. Yeah, in America, we've turned worry into a pastime. It's right there behind baseball and apple pie. Worry. 
We worry about everything. In fact, we're raised to worry. We teach our kids to worry. You're not considered a grown-up until we perfect the art of worrying. you got a teenager in your home. You say to he or she when they're not bringing home the grades that they should or maybe they're not holding down a job or maybe they're not thinking about the future enough and you say, you know what? You'd better start what? Worrying about your future. When are you going to start worrying about your future? Oh, that's right. I'm growing up. I need to learn how to worry. Because it's an art form in America. What do we worry about? Everything. Will there be enough money to pay the bills? What about the retirement? Will I ever find the the one? I was talking to a single uh, girl this week and I said, what what do you worry about? She said, I'm embarrassed about it, but it's that. It's like, Will I make a mistake? Does God have one for me? Will, will I, um, you know, end up at the end of the road all alone? And then last night's message, a couple of guys came up to me and said, that, that's it. That's what we worry about. Um, we worry about, will, will my children, if you have kids, make the right decisions? How will my grandchildren turn out? How can I make my boss happy? Will I pass the course? Will I get an A? It's almost as though we search for problems in order to give ourselves more stress. The rich worry about tomorrow because they have money and they're afraid they'll lose it. The poor worry about tomorrow because they don't have money and they don't know how they're going to manage The educated worry about tomorrow because they know that there's a lot to worry about. The uneducated worry about tomorrow because they don't know what to worry about. Somebody said worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't go anywhere. I thought that was good, but apparently not. Okay. I'm a little worried about that, actually. (laughs) So why do we worry? Why do we worry? Because we're trying to play God. We want to control things. We want to control everything in our lives. And when you can't control it, what can you do? You can worry about it. Because it makes you feel like you're controlling it. But can I tell you, control is a myth. There are very few things in life you control. You can't control your kids, honestly. I mean, you can, when they're little, you know, a little bit. But you can't control the decisions they make. You can't control what other people think. You can't control what anybody else does. There's very All you need is one phone call to explode the myth of control. You control very little in life. What does worry do? Um, I was reading some doctors, what they said about worry. And um, it's kind of a consensus that about 65% of illness is stress-related. One one, uh, doctor said chemicals released during extended periods of worry wreak havoc on our physical being with symptoms ranging from headaches to high blood pressure. Another one said chronic worriers are prone to heart conditions and as a general rule are not too much fun to be around. And so that leads to loneliness. Because nobody wants to be around somebody who's worrying all the time. And they're just this negative, negative, negative. Somebody said, when you make mountains out of molehills, all you do is exhaust the mole. 
Coach Dean Smith said, if you treat every situation as a life and death matter, you're going to die a lot of times. And that's true. So what's the truth about worry? Listen to this. Several recent studies indicate that over 80% of all that we worry about never happens. 85% of the things that you worry about never happen. Things like stuff that already happened in the past that you can't do anything about. Stuff that may or may not happen in the future that you really can't do anything about. Worries over things which we have no control. Irrational concerns or fears. 85% of what we worry about never happens. And some of you right now are saying, okay, I'll give you the 85%, but what about the other 15%? Shouldn't we worry about that? Whether it's 15% or 1%, worrying never affects the final outcome. Think about it. Have you ever worried a problem away? Look what Jesus says about it in Matthew 6.27. Jesus said, Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. Jesus in this magical passage is trying to instruct His disciples that they're to live in the peace of the father to live in the peace of god and the way you do that is you don't worry about anything you don't worry about where you live what you wear any of those things he says god cares about you cares more about you than the birds of the air who they never sow anything and yet they've always got things to eat he cares more about you than the flowers of the field who he clothes in more beauty and splendor than even Solomon had. So he says, don't worry. Now some of you are world-class worriers. Someone was to ask you, what are you the best in the world at? You could raise your hand and say, worrying. I'm world-class. It's a hard habit to break. What do you do? Well, the first step to breaking the habit is just simply recognizing that it is not God's will for you. And if it's not God's will, it's sin. Recognize that God says we are not to worry about anything. Second thing He says is this. Pray about everything. In fact, how about we just rip that one off too? Second part of the verse. Instead, pray about everything. So He said, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. In fact, when God tells you to eliminate something in your life, you know, this is not God's will for you. He doesn't say just give it up. He always has something better than than that. He says, don't do this, do this. And in this case, he says, don't worry. Instead, be happy. No, he says, pray. Don't worry. Instead, why is that good? Because don't worry, be happy. You can't sustain that. You got to do something with the worry and doing something with the worry is praying about it. So what do you pray about? He says everything. Instead, pray about everything. Verse 6, the rest of it says, tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Now, I'm being kind of funny with this in a sense and from here on we're probably going to kind of strike in a little bit closer to where you live. But as I was praying about this message, I I really believe that this concept, that what we're going to talk about today, is probably 
the biggest, if I was going to take the most people in this congregation, talk about one thing that would impact more people than anything else, it's this subject. It's worry. Some of you do it a little bit. A lot of us do it a lot. Some of us are medicated right now because we've got to have help getting through this, this whole thing. And so as, as, as I was thinking about it, I wanted it to be more than just, well, here's some concept. I want you to get it. I want all of us to get it. And so, and so I feel like I've got some things right here that will help you in praying. Three words I feel like the Lord gave me this week on how do you pray about everything? How do you go from like this worry to pray? Here's the first, first word is filter. Filter. Um, when a thought comes into your mind, a worrying thought comes into your mind, you need to run it through the 85-15% filter. Is this irrational? Or is this something I should be concerned about? Is this just like one of the, you know, it's just crazy. I don't even need to think about that. I just don't need to do it. Filter it. I'm not going to think about that. Or is it one of the 15%? Okay, I need to be concerned about that. And if it's one of the 15%, if you've got time, give it to the Lord right then. God, here it is. This is concerning me. I give it to you. If you don't have time, that's okay. You do the next thing. And that's capture. Capture. Filter. Capture. If it's something that you should be concerned about, write it down. Make it a part of your prayer list. Um... Let me tell you the progress in this and me and kind of why I was thinking in this direction. As this church has grown from just a handful of us uh, to thousands of us, my responsibilities have grown. This church has way outgrown my ability to uh, manage. I'll I'll just be real honest about about that. People say, how do you do it? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, we got some great people that help. Just God has just given us great people that help. Secondly, I've learned a little bit about um, about managing uh, in in the midst of chaos because that's kind of where I live. That's the way the world is, to be honest with you. And here's what I used to do all the time. If actually, up up until a couple of years ago, it was a little bit overwhelming. I'd always have this thought that I that I'm forgetting something. Do you ever have that? I, there's something I should be doing. Some, somebody asked me something, or there's just something, I, and I'm forgetting about it, and I think about that, and it would become worry. Until somebody taught me about uh, capturing my thoughts and just make them to-do lists. And so what I do now is I, I do it on my, because I'm a geek. Uh, you don't have to be a geek to do this. In fact, you can be normal and just write things down on a piece of paper, but I have my little, you know, whatever you call it, uh, PDA with me all the time. And I capture it. When, when a thought comes that either I need to remember that for a message, I've got a list of things, thoughts to remember for messages, or if it's something I need to do, I capture it in a to-do list, and then, and then I don't think about it again. Okay, that, okay, I got it. And then at least once a day, I'll sit down with that list and go, okay, this was important, I need to do it, so I'm going to put it in a schedule uh, for tomorrow at 3, and I put it on my schedule, or, or, or I need to sit down right now and just write something. But anyway, it's all captured, and I do something with it. And I live an amazingly stress-free life for the amount of responsibility that God has given me. And and, and in the same way, and it kind of mixes together with worry and prayer. When uh, you have thoughts that come, if you filter it first, you know, this is crazy, I don't even be thinking about this. But here comes, this is something I need to be concerned about. If you write it down and make it a part of your prayer list. (laughs) 
And then when you pray, maybe every night you pray, or maybe in the morning you pray, or maybe you pray two or three times during the day. You know, we continuously pray, but there are times of, of extended prayer. And it's a, then you work through your prayer list. And you give it to God. That's the third word is petition. Petition. You pray. You filter. You capture. You petition. With an attitude of thanksgiving, you work through your prayer list. Work through your prayer list. In fact, I love Philippians 4 and verse 6 in the message. I want us to read it out loud. Let's do it together. Campuses 2. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let's stop there. That's so powerful. Let petitions and praises Shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. What if all your worries were transformed into prayers? What would the result be? Well, look at the next verse. Verse 7. If you do this, he says, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He says, this is God's will for you. Don't worry about everything. Pray. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And if you do, you will experience God's peace, he says, which is better than Prozac. I thought that was good. Now, listen, if you are taking something right now to help you handle anxiety, don't go away from this message and go, well, Greg said that's wrong for me to take it. No, it's not. Sometimes you need something to, to get you back on balance. What I'm saying is it is possible that if you would practice what we're talking about here, there may come a day when you won't need help, that you can walk in the peace of God. Okay, so is everybody clear on that? So how does it work? When you pray with thanksgiving, you remember that God is in control, that He's working things out according to His purposes, that He is at work on the solution before you even know there's a problem. I've said this many times. I will continue to say it because I think it's a powerful picture. God has never had a day when you had an issue in your life and God said, man, I wish I'd have seen that one coming. Never. If that's the truth, when you've got one of the 15% that you need to be concerned about and pray about, you need to, when you pray, here's how you pray with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that you saw this coming. Thank you, God, that you were at work on a solution before I even knew there was a problem. See, that gives you confidence in prayer. And so you give it to God. In fact, um, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, Peter says, give all your worries and cares to God. For He cares about what happens to you. You're not petitioning an uncaring CEO in the sky that's got too much going on to be concerned about your stuff. He said, God cares about you. Get this. Jesus said, don't worry. Paul said, don't worry. Peter said, cast your cares on God. Don't worry. You want to know what God's will for you is? Don't worry. Don't worry. Filter. Capture. Petition. So what do you do 
After you've decided to stop worrying, you've made your petitions known to God. You do the third thing. You think about the right things. You don't worry about anything. You pray about everything. And you think about the right things. To reduce stress in your life, you're going to have to change the way that you think. When I see what some people allow to enter their minds, no wonder they're under stress. They're letting all kinds of... It's just kind of like garbage in what? Garbage out. Garbage actually destroys before it goes out. You need to be careful about what you're seeing, what you're thinking about, what you're allowing in. The kind of movies that you see. See, I don't go to downer movies. If I can help it. I went to a movie the other day. Someone had told me about... And in the very first scene of that movie, something happened that um, I... That night... I woke up in the middle of the night in cold sweats thinking about it. It haunted me for a couple of days until I finally re- realized it didn't even really happen. <laughs> a screenwriter thought it up and he got me. But you know what? I have enough stress in my life. I don't need to go to a movie to get more stress. It's kind of wimpy, but it probably could work. To be careful about what you read, what you listen to. I don't need discouraging music. Occasionally, a little country, you know. Um, but, you know, if you lost your dog, that's great, you know, or whatever, or your truck, or whatever it happened to be. But I, I just don't want to get in there with you and just feel I have enough. Okay? I have enough. Open the curtains. Turn the lights on. Guard your mind. Because what you think affects the way you feel. And the way you feel affects the way you act. Okay? In the words of the great theologian Mark Twain, drag your thoughts away from your troubles by the ears, by the heels, or any other way you can manage it. Paul tells us what to think about. Philippians 4.8 And now, dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. See, Paul is encouraging them and he's encouraging us to think about things that lead to praise and have an outward expression in service. He says, I want you not just to not worry, and I want you not only to pray, but I want you to fix your thoughts on things that are going to cause you to worship the God that you love and stimulate and motivate you to make the world around you a better place. Let's just look at those eight things. Eight things that we're to fix our thoughts on. Number one, things that are true. That's that filter process. Thought comes in, is this true? I don't know about you, but my mind can jump immediately to worst case scenarios. Do yours? I mean, I can think something and boom, man, it's just like, I am very creative about worst case scenarios. And so, and so over the years, training myself, is this true? No. I don't even know if it's true. Well, if I don't know it's true, unless I know it's true, I'm not even going to think about it. Not even going to think about it. Okay? Second thing is, is it honorable? Is what I'm thinking about 
the thing that an honorable person would think about. Because if, if, it, if it is honorable and I think about it, I'm going to become more and more honorable. And so think about that. Is it right? Is it right? It's talking about justice. It says, how much do you think about justice? See, if you read the Bible very much at all, you will find that God cares about the least of these. God cares about the poor. God cares about the oppressed. God cares about those who can't offend, uh, 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 defend themselves. So he wants us to spend time thinking about what is right. And if you're just constantly worrying about stuff, you're not going to have time to get involved in what God wants you to put your mind process to. Can you imagine what the world would be like if Christians worried less and thought about justice more? You know, that's one of the things I love about our church is that you guys, this church is concerned about more than just, you know, the sweet by and by. We're concerned about the things that God's concerned about. We're concerned about the people in the neighborhoods around you. We're concerned about justice issues. And I think we'll become more and more concerned as we spend less of our time thinking about things that don't matter, that are never going to happen, and worrying about it. Things that are right. Things that are pure. We live in a culture that's dedicated to destroying anything pure. He says, you know, if it's pure, think about it. If it's not, put it out. Because if you spend time thinking about what's not pure, you will not experience this quality of life, this living, this peace that passes all understanding. You won't, you won't experience it. So focus on what's pure. What's lovely? What's lovely? God, is, God has placed beauty in our world for a, for a purpose. I mean, God could have made the whole world to look like Arizona. You know? I was there last week. It has its own beauty. But when you see something beautiful, God has placed that there. And you know what He's placed it for? He's placed it as a precursor to what is to come. Ephesians chapter 1 says that the Holy Spirit is a down payment on your inheritance to come. And when you have those God moments, those times when, when there's a beautiful sunset or there's a tremendous painting or a photograph that moves you or poetry or a book or a piece of music or a moment in worship, then fix your thoughts on that and let it drive you toward God is awesome. And you know what? This is just a foretaste of what is to come. What is lovely, beautiful? What is commendable? What can I compliment somebody on? So I'm thinking and the thought comes into mind. You know what? I, rather than criticize, how about I compliment somebody on something? What is excellent? In a world that loves to lower the standards, what if Christians were different? What if our thoughts were on the highest standards of excellence? And then finally, think, fix your thoughts on things that are worthy of praise. Be looking, how can I praise God in this? I don't know about you, but I'll come in sometimes into a worship service that we have here, maybe on a weekend or especially on a first Wednesday where we take maybe an hour, hour and a half just to worship God. Sometimes I'll come in with stuff, you know, with things that I'm concerned about and and I begin to worship and they seem small in compared to an awesome God. And God, God says, listen, gang, fix your mind on these eight things. And if you will, if you will, you will experience the peace of God. It's a great story in Mark chapter 5. It's the story of Jesus' ministry. Uh, His ministry is starting to grow. 
He's healed a lot of people, and so there are crowds everywhere. He gets in a boat, and he gets out into the water in order to get away from people so that his disciples can just have some kind of downtime. He comes back uh, to the shore, and there's this huge crowd there waiting uh, for him. And one of the people that stepped forward is the leader of the synagogue, an important guy. His name's Jairus. And Jairus begs him to come to his house because his young daughter is sick and he's dying. And if you've ever been a parent or are a parent, when you read this story, your heart just gets right into it. This guy comes and he kneels before Jesus and he literally begs him to come. And so Jesus begins to walk with him to his house. and There's this huge crowd around him. And the story talks about a woman in the crowd. Um... She'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years, bleeding every day. She went to doctor after doctor, it says, and she spent all of her money and there was no cure. Nothing worked. And in verse 27, it says she had heard about Jesus. And so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched the fringe of his robe. And here's, here's the thought. For she thought to herself, She thought something and thoughts lead to actions and actions then ultimately lead to feelings. She thought to herself, what? If I can just touch his clothes, I would be healed. So I read that, I I thought that's probably not the only thought that vied for her attention at that moment. She probably thought, you know what? Nothing has worked for me. For 12 years I've been like this. I've tried everything. Or who am I to even ask? There are so many people that are more important than me. Why would he even have time for me? In fact, right there, there's a leader of the synagogue and he's a well-respected guy and his daughter's dying and his daughter's just a little girl and she's so much more important than me. Maybe I shouldn't even try. Or I don't like crowds. Or what if people notice my bleeding? But she chose to ignore those thoughts and act on a hopeful one. If I could just touch, if I could just touch his clothing, maybe I'll be healed. So she did. And Jesus noticed and he said, who touched me? And the disciples were going, dude, people are touching you everywhere. I just touched you. See, no, 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 no. It was different than that. Somebody touched me in a significant, in a significant way. Verse 34, he says to her when she identifies herself, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, for you have been healed. Listen to me. Some of you who are here today are listening somewhere else. Some of you are sick with worry. You're sick. Maybe it's consuming your thoughts. Maybe it's an irrational thing about your kids. Maybe it's a a jealousy thing that's just destroying a relationship that you're in. Or maybe it's something that's been with you. You've been to doctors, you're taking medicine, you can't get relief. I want to challenge you to learn the process that Paul talks about, how we deal with stress. Learn to stop worrying about anything. Learn how to pray about everything. Maybe to filter and to capture and to petition and learn to think about the right things. And if you will, you will receive the healing that Jesus has for you. Philippians 4.9 says, Keep putting into practice 
all that you learned. It doesn't happen right away sometimes. You've got to keep practicing and putting it into practice. He says, if you keep putting into practice all that you've learned from me and heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. And that's my prayer for you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the practicality of your word. And God, I just pray now in these next few moments that you will speak to our hearts. You will challenge us to action and that miracles would happen in this room, in the spirit, as we choose to follow you and obey you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.